Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, since Veterans Day is Friday in the United States, we're going to go through some fun words we got from World War II. And then we'll also talk about how Australians use the phrase a bit, well, a bit more than other people maybe. Last year, I did a roundup of words from World War II, and it was so popular, I decided to do another one this year. That was episode 849, if you want to go back and listen. First this week is boffin. The first use shown in the Oxford English Dictionary was a slang term in 1941 to refer to an elderly naval officer. Elderly meaning anyone 32 or older. But a few years later, in 1945, it was used to refer to civilian scientists who were working on radar with the British Royal Air Force, which is where it gets the meaning we think of today. Someone who does innovative or backroom scientific or technical research. The Malvern Radar and Technology History Society has a webpage with a collection of newspaper articles released on VJ Day, Victory Over Japan Day. Radar was a new development that likely made the difference in winning the war, and the men known as boffins were celebrated and admired. For example, an article in the Daily Herald said it should actually be called Boffins Day. And another article went into great depth about the development of radar and said, quote, To the RAF, the mysterious boffins, as the experimenters were called, who invented and supplied the new devices became almost legendary figures, for none were quicker to grasp the immense importance of radar than the men who were to use them, unquote. Nobody knows for sure the origin of the name boffin. There were multiple fictional characters named boffin that predated the war. Charles Dickens, William Morris, and J.R.R. Tolkien all had characters named Boffin in their books. I've seen multiple sources speculate that the James Bond character Q, who invents all the wonderful gadgets, is modeled on the Boffins. And it seems that in recent years, the term has become a little less glamorous and can now also be used to be roughly equivalent to calling someone an egghead. For example, a search at the Corpus of Contemporary American English brings up this example from AndroidCentral.com about the camera on a Nexus phone. Quote, It has two holes off to one side and reminds me of something a boffin would make from the parts he bought from Radio Shack. Unquote. Another one that came out of the British military is bonkers. 
It was originally Navy slang that meant lightheaded or mildly drunk, and then eventually came to describe someone who was crazy, as in, he's gone bonkers or he's raving bonkers. The reasoning is ultimately unknown, but Eric Partridge, a lexicographer of the time who wrote A Dictionary of Forces Slang, speculated that it might have come from the idea of getting a bonk on the head. Cannibalize is a word that definitely existed before World War II. It goes all the way back to the mid-1600s, but it took on a new meaning during the war. To take parts from something, like a jeep or a plane, and to use them to fix something else. The first example in the OED is from 1942 and reads, quote, A wrecked French plane is cannibalized, that is, parts are stripped from it for use on damaged Allied ships, unquote. Clobber is another word that popped up in the 1940s. The origin is unknown, but Partridge included it in his Dictionary of Forces slang in 1948 as an Air Force term to refer to heavy bombing. I feel like now I mostly hear it in sports commentary, like saying a quarterback really got clobbered or a team took a clobbering. Partridge's book also includes the phrase, famous last words, being applied to a statement that's likely to be proven wrong. It's the first reference in the OED for the phrase, and it's given as a reaction to the statement that anti-aircraft fire isn't really dangerous. Famous last words. And we'll finish this segment with boondocks, which may have been popularized during World War II, but actually came into English much earlier from U.S. soldiers fighting in the Philippine-American War around the turn of the previous century. The boondocks, and I've never heard it as anything but plural, even though the OED has the headword boondock, the boondocks are a wild, remote, or hard-to-reach area, and the soldiers picked it up from the Tagalog word bundok, B-U-N-D-O-K, which means mountain, and is also used colloquially to refer to areas that are considered rustic or uncivilized. And then finally, boonies, which means the same thing, we're out in the boonies, is just a shortened form of boondocks that seems to have been first used again by U.S. soldiers, but this time during the Vietnam War. And again, if you want to hear last year's episode that had other words from World War II, it came out in early November and was episode 849. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then with phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. 
Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer reported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. This next segment is written by Isabel Burke, Research Fellow in Linguistics in the Faculty of Arts at Monash University. She writes, Let me set the scene for you. It's a winter afternoon during lockdown last year, and I'm about to co-present a paper online for the Forum of Englishes in Australia. There's just one problem. I've noticed my desk is on fire. The fireplace behind me has issued a few sparks onto some papers, and I'm frantically snuffing them out with a mouse pad, and I find myself saying, hang on, just a bit of an issue. A fire during a Zoom presentation ranks somewhere between not ideal and catastrophic. So it's not surprising that among the first words in my mouth are a bit, a phrase typically used for mitigation. And as Kate Burridge and I have recently discovered, one that's used in characteristically Australian ways. A bit is a discourse marker, one of those hardworking little linguistic scraps like you know or I mean, which help manage the flow of discourse, perhaps through interpersonal work or signposting the structure of a conversation. Linguists such as Anna Verbitska have observed that discourse markers, such as a bit or its well-known cousin, yeah, no, are a reflection of tightly held cultural values. And for Australians, one of those core cultural precepts is do not whinge, even about your recent draft being set on fire. Our recent analysis of corpus data on a bit reveals a grim catalog of woes that Australian English speakers have mitigated with a bit. These range from a bit of a car accident, a bit of a headache, a bit of a blood clot, and even a plane crash, which was described as a bit of a frightening experience. My desk inferno hardly seems to rate, which I reckon is a bit rough. A bit is a classic hedge, reducing the force of statements that speakers and listeners may find undesirable or unpleasant. Hedges such as a bit are an integral part of our everyday conversational routines surrounding ill health or misfortune. But funnily enough, Australian speakers don't only mitigate overtly negative statements, but even seemingly positive ones. For instance, our data reveals examples such as calling someone a bit of a local hero, and plenty of instances of a bit of a legend. Tall poppy syndrome means the issuing of compliments can be a fraught business, in fact, in need of mitigation. And this is an aside that isn't from Isabel Burke's piece. I thought some of you might be wondering about tall poppy syndrome. Um, Samantha Enslin wrote about it a few years ago for the podcast. 
At the time, the well-known Australian rebel Wilson used it to describe people trying to tear her down. It's also primarily an Australian saying that alludes to the tendency of feeling it's risky to stand out positively, like you are the tallest, perhaps the most beautiful or successful poppy in a field of flowers, and by standing out, you're going to get your head lopped off. And now we go back to Isabel's piece. Tall poppy syndrome means the issuing of compliments can be a fraught business, in fact, in need of mitigation. But that's not all a bit does. There's a rich vein of humor in this little discourse marker, too. A common use of a bit is an ironic understatement, which draws attention to something that's very obvious. This is then used for humorous effect. One speaker in his early 20s described his university career as half a decade, mate, yeah, it's a bit long. Even more vividly, one example we found described Nigella Lawson as being a bit of a babe, and as the photographic evidence demonstrates, this is quite the understatement. This ironic use even made an appearance in the media not too long ago. As multiple states and territories across Australia were simultaneously entering lockdown due to fresh COVID-19 outbreaks, Dean Bilton, who was running the ABC Live blog during the afternoon of June 30th, 2021, received a comment about his apparent overuse of the phrase, there's a bit on. Comment, how many times can we say there's a bit on in the blog today? Is there a quota we need to reach? Happy to help. Signed, a bit on. He responded, you're right, there have been a bit of a bit ons on today. I'll look to dial it back, but are there any other phrases that sum up the mood of, oh cool, everything is melting down all at once and we don't even have time to address another one before another one comes out and melts all over us? So succinctly. As Dean playfully suggested here, this ironic use also shades into playing down one's troubles. Linguist Karen Eijmer has described discourse markers as being slippery customers, and a bit is certainly no exception. It evokes particular pragmatic effects in turn and likes to defy categorization. If the ABC's live blog is any indication, it seems speakers of Australian English are increasingly aware of this multifaceted potential of a bit and its frequency in the community. In fact, we're so aware of a bit that speakers and writers can even be criticized for its overuse, which is definitely a benchmark for success in a discourse marker. Oh, and the presentation went well, by the way. Some might even say it was lit. <laughs> Again, that segment was by Isabel Burke and was first published on Menashe Lens. It's included here through a Creative Commons license. Finally, I have a family-like story about a brand name. Hi, I'm calling about the familial rect. Um, my family calls the uh, calls facial tissues sneeze things. Uh, this is because my mom, one day when she was uh, when she was in need of one, could not come up with the right name for facial tissues. She was, and eventually she's like, "I need a sneeze thing." And unfortunately, they immediately, that immediately replaced the real word for them in my brain. So I'm actually kind of hoping that it will genericize all over the world as sneeze things. So I don't have to keep explaining it to everybody because I can't remember the name of them now either. So that's my familial ex. Thanks so much. I don't hold out much hope that sneeze things will replace Kleenex or even facial tissues, but I guess stranger things have happened. 
I did find the history of Kleenex kind of fascinating, though, as I was looking things up trying to find out if it's called Kleenex in other English-speaking countries. And yes, it seems like it is at least sometimes. Kleenex in the Western world was originally marketed and trademarked specifically as a product for removing cold cream in 1924. It sounds like its use as a sneeze thing was kind of an afterthought started by a researcher at the company with hay fever and started a few years later and was obviously much more successful than just marketing it as a cold cream remover. And then also I used cold cream when I was growing up, but I realized that I don't know what's in it. So I looked that up too. And it turns out it's super old. According to Wikipedia, it's an emulsion of water with a larger amount of oil. The original recipe is supposedly from a physician in second century Greece. So it goes back almost 2000 years. And that recipe included rose water, beeswax, and either olive oil or almond oil. And it's called cold cream because of the way it makes your skin feel cold when you put it on. Thanks again for the call. If you want to share the story of your familect, a family dialect or a word your family and only your family uses, call the voicemail line at 83-321-4GIRL and I might play it on the show. Grammar Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. Thanks to my audio engineer, Nathan Sims, and my editor, Adam Cecil. Our ad operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. Our intern is Cameron Lacey. And our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings, who's been practicing the piano to get ready for Christmas carol season. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.